you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. So begins T.S. Eliot's poem, Journey of the Magi. Here in this section, Eliot is actually citing lines from a sermon from 1622 by the English scholar and priest Lancelot Andrews, who in describing it as all having taken place at the very dead of winter, is assuming a wintertime date for the birth of Jesus, We don't know, of course, we can't possibly know, and there's actually quite a complex history as to how the church landed on December 25th as Christmas Day, and then January 6th as the Feast of the Epiphany, which we observe here tonight. There is, though, a long and venerable tradition of telling the Nativity story from Luke at Christmas and then this other nativity story from Matthew on Epiphany. They are truly distinct stories. Yet because they are so familiar, the distinctive details from one can easily get blended into the other. Luke's setting is a stable, and there are angels and shepherds. Matthew doesn't make any mention of a stable, but rather describes the visiting magi as, quote, entering the house where Mary and the child are residing. And what had led them to that house? Well, a star, of which Luke makes no mention. Yet, how often in classical paintings and on Christmas cards do we see a stable with a star in the sky over it? an angel perhaps hovering close by, and both Luke's shepherds and Matthew's magi arriving at pretty much the same time. I mean, look at our own crash scene here. The shepherds have now returned to their fields and have been replaced inside by the magi, Matthew's magi in Luke's stable. Now, that's not an entirely iniquitous thing to be doing, I've got the same setup at home, and later tonight when I get home, I will move my magi from where they're currently standing into the stable. It completes the season. But to acknowledge that the two stories are quite distinct and different is also to allow us to hear more clearly what Matthew most wants to tell. His story opens with the arrival of the Magi in Jerusalem, seeking a child born to be king. They are seekers, astrologers, star watchers, and most notably, they are Gentiles. They have seen a star in the sky that has alerted them to a significant birth. Star watching was common in many, many cultures of the ancient Near East, the belief being that the heavens and the earth were actually all of a piece, such that any significant events on the earth 
would be marked by significant manifestation in the skies, seeking a king. They have quite reasonably gone to the royal home in Jerusalem and to its primary occupant, King Herod. The word they bring is disturbing. He does not want to hear anything of a new king. In the words of N.T. Wright, what Matthew tells us is political dynamite. Jesus, he is saying, is the true king of the Jews, and old Herod is the false one, a usurper, an imposter. The house of Herod did not take kindly to the idea of anyone else claiming to be king of the Jews. Herod consults the chief priests and the scribes in Jerusalem to see what they might be able to tell him of any prophecies of a coming king. And citing the prophet Micah, they inform Herod that it is from Bethlehem that such a one is to come. Go to Bethlehem, Herod tells the Magi. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may go also and pay him homage. It is a bit of trickery, of course. Herod simply wants the Magi to locate the child so he can then arrange to have him killed. Well, off the seekers go, and as they travel, they see that the star again has become visible in the skies. On entering the house, Matthew tells us, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and they paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are royal gifts, notes N.T. Wright. The sort of thing that people in the ancient world would think of as appropriate presents to bring to kings or even to gods. For Matthew, these gifts represent the Magi's recognition that though this child is clearly not born to wealth or privilege or power, He is the one to whom they will bend the knee in honor. It's Matthew's first signal that this Jesus is given for the sake of all, Gentiles and Jews alike. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Herod's plan is thwarted, though, as we know, it only makes him angrier. And soon he will dispatch his soldiers, his death squads, to Bethlehem to kill all of the male children under the age of two. It is not an easy story. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year, for a journey and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. In his great poem, T.S. Eliot explores a different layer of difficulty, that experienced by the Magi themselves. From those beginning lines borrowed from Lancelot Andrews, Eliot goes on to describe the arduous journey toward Jerusalem and then Bethlehem that these Magi will take. He writes, Then the camel men cursing and grumbling, and running away and wanting their liquor and women, 
and the night fires going out and the lack of shelters, the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly, the villages dirty and charging high prices, a hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. This was all folly, they fear, yet they persist in their journey, making that stop in Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem. And here the poem continues, And arrived at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place it was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? Oh, you might protest, but Mr. Elliot, of course the Magi were led there to see a birth, a new beginning. What's this talk of death? Well, for one thing, this story is haunted by death. The death of all the little boys at the hands of Herod's soldiers, but also on the far horizon of the gospel, the death of Jesus himself. What's more in his poem T.S. Eliot explores the idea that the Magi, too, would have needed to confront a kind of death. For them to come face to face with this peasant child, this peasant mother, in an insignificant little backwater Judean village, and to be brought to their knees before him would certainly have been a revelation and an epiphany, a Aha, now we see sort of moment. But it probably also meant marking the end of their old, settled way of seeing and understanding the world. The old way in which the stars told the story of the earth, in which kings lived in royal palaces, and the social order was properly stratified, everyone in their place. That was all put in jeopardy by this encounter with the Christ child, simply seeing and falling to their knees his very existence, undoing and subverting that familiar old order. And so home by another road, to a world that doesn't know a thing about what they've just seen there in Bethlehem, what they've come to know about what's really right and really true. Back home, nobody has a framework for understanding that. They would, in that sense, have to die to their old selves, their old system, in order to be true to what they have now begun to truly know. Sometimes life, particularly the spiritual life and the life of faith, sometimes life can be like that, you know. You experience something, you learn something, you see something, you understand something utterly anew about the shape of life and the ways of God, and everything just shifts. Maybe that brings you utterly alive in your faith, excited and invigorated, but maybe it makes you feel like you're starting right at the beginning all over again. 
trying to learn all over again what it means to follow Jesus. Whether they bring that excited joy or new struggles, the little epiphanies along the way are part of what makes faith what it is. A lifelong walk, one foot in front of the other, trusting that the road will take us where we need to be, sometimes weeping and sometimes laughing. Because we are meant to be a people together, the body of Christ, we are never meant to walk that road alone. So recall again this line from Eliot's poem, voiced by one of those magi. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again. May all of us, in our various walks of faith, be able to always say the same, that we would do it again and again and again. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.